Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Josh, and uh, it's great to see you all. Thanks for showing up this early. Just look at the person next to you and say, well done for getting here. <laughs> Just tell them they look great. You look great. It's early in the morning, but you look great. Um, the funny thing is, uh, for quite a lot of churches around the country, they haven't even started yet. But we're halfway through, so uh, that's great. We've got the rest of Sunday to look forward to. Man United playing Everton, 4 o'clock. So, uh, yeah, I'll be ready for that. Um, so, cool. Today, what we're going to be talking about is the power of our yes, if you like uh, sermon titles. Um, are we recording this? Yes. We are. Okay, great. That's good. Thanks, James. Um, so, yeah, the sermon title is the power of our yes, and... Uh, if you've uh, got your Bible, why don't you turn to Mark 12. There should be Bibles around. If you forgot to bring yours, no worries if you forgot. You're forgiven. So yeah, Mark 12. And uh, just while we're turning there, why don't I just pray for all of us. Dear God, we thank you for these moments when we get to gather. When we get to gather around your word. And uh, Holy Spirit, we just... We pray for a real sense of you this morning. Thank you that you, uh, the promises that the Holy Spirit lead us into all truth and that the truth sets us free. So we just pray for freedom to be released over every single person uh, in this room. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so uh, two weeks ago, we celebrated our eight-year wedding anniversary. Come on. Thank you. Eight years, it's been great. Um, just so you know, uh, with when I'm speaking, I really appreciate feedback. Always positive. Okay, if you if it's that negative, save it till later. Um, but uh, if you are enjoying what I'm saying, then I like stuff like Amen, Come on, That's Good. Uh, even that's a Facebook status. If you want to shout that, then uh, just shout it out. That's so good. It's a Facebook status, and then put it online. Obviously, tag me in it. <laughs> and I get more speaking engagements. Um, you'll find out now who I am. Okay, so eight years, we celebrated that two weeks ago, the 5th of September, and um, I was reflecting on our eight years and also thinking about this, the first message for Emmaus Road Woking, and um, I wanted to tell a little story. So uh, when we got engaged, we were part of a kind of big church in Southampton, and uh, like all good churches, uh, when a couple get engaged, the leaders kind of chatted to us and they said, it'd be good for you guys to do some marriage prep. So we're like, okay, fine. So they hooked us up with a couple and um, we got this log, like this login for this website. And basically what you had to do, the way the format of it was, you had to go online and then answer a hundred questions that were split into 10 categories and you answered it separately. It was actually quite mysterious. You never saw each other's results. They said, we don't ever want you to see each other's results in case 
you know, five, ten years down the line, you kind of use these results against each other in, in conflict. So, uh, um, so it's all quite mysterious. So I answered mine and M answered hers. And they were about all like ten different categories that kind of were supposed to include all parts of your marriage. So there was gender roles, uh, money, sex, uh, leisure time family, relationships, there's all these different things that you basically answer all these questions and then you get together and basically you would get together and they'd say, right, here are your strong areas. So we got really strong on spirituality, which is good. We got strong on communication. Um, but then they said, basically, we're not going to really talk to you about what you're good at. We're going to focus in on your, and what they called it, to try and be nice, was not weaknesses, your growth areas. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, or maybe it's good to know, we have got some growth areas. Okay, so eight years ago they said, we've actually never seen a 0% compatibility ever until we met you two around money. <laughs> so we are 0% compatible, we've worked really hard on that, and uh, it's probably up to about 5%. Um, jokes, it's not even 5 um, <laughs> That's one of the problems. Okay, but what I actually want to talk to you about is, um, one of our growth areas was leisure time. So you think, I wonder what that is. Basically, that session revolved entirely around football and my relationship with football. So, come on, can I get an amen? Um, so, uh, we got there and um, we'd obviously marked quite low on our views of each other's leisure time allocation in our weeks. So, uh, we got there and the, um, we were with a couple and the lady said to me, um, so Josh, in an average week, you know, how often do you kind of engage in football? So I thought, okay, I'll start with, well, I play for a team, and I have training, so that's twice a week. Uh, she said, do you watch football? I said, yeah, I watch football. Um, my team's Man United, by the way. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen! Amen! Um, and uh, I said, she said, how often do you watch them? I said, well, they could be on TV twice a week, but, you know, it's not always twice a week. So she's like, okay, one, two, three, okay, so four things of football. So she's obviously clocking up the hours, and then M interjects, and she says, so there's that, but then there's also football on the radio. There's also the amount of research that Josh does, looking at BBC Sport. There's his fantasy football team. Um, there's also, at this time, eight years ago, I had enough time to play computer games, so there's FIFA. Um, there's also the emotional fallout of Man United's games. So if they win, it's great. If they lose, it's not. So it's, so it's kind of dawning on me. And obviously this lady is like so shocked. It's like, what? Trying to clock up all those hours. It's like, okay, football's a big deal to this guy. So it dawned on me at that point that obviously football and my amount of time that I gave to it was something we're going to have to work on. So we get married. And in our first year of marriage, we got married in 2009. The summer of that year, of our first year was the World Cup in South Africa. So we're journeying towards about 10 months in being married. And I'm thinking, okay, I remember the marriage prep. I'm gonna need to talk to M about the World Cup. <laughs> so we have a conversation. I'm like, M, the World Cup's going around. She's like, yeah. I'm like, England qualified. Yeah. Now M's always actually followed England at major tournaments. So that was obviously kind of fine. So we talked about it, I'm like, so England, we qualified, so we put those dates in, in the diary, 
make a bit of a plan about how we're going to engage with these games. She's like, yep, so we put the dates in our diary and we have uh, plans. One of them we're going to watch, we're going to host at our house. One of them we're going to um, watch at the pub with our friends. And so it's all, I'm thinking, okay. M said yes to engaging the World Cup. We've got our England shirts, we've got our wall planner, it's all sorted. So, we get to the opening night, opening ceremony of the World Cup. Now, England weren't involved in that, it was in South Africa, so South Africa versus someone else. So I'm like, M, the World Cup starts, should we put it on? She's like, uh, yeah, it's not actually an England game, is it? I'm like, no, no, it's not an England game, but, but you did say yes to the World Cup, so we are watching the World, oh, World Cup, aren't we? So, She's like, yeah, yeah, of course, the opening ceremony, and that finishes. And uh, then the first game starts, and I'm like, Emma said yes to the World Cup, so I <laughs> leave it on. And uh, then that game finishes, and being the World Cup, there's more than one game a day, so I'm like, well, obviously, you said yes to the World Cup, I'm just going to watch this one as well. She's like, and she asked me this question, that actually, at the time, I didn't really understand, she said, is this game important? I'm like, what do you mean, is this game important? It's the World Cup, of course it's important, football. And um, basically, we had a conversation about the fact that um, her yes to the World Cup was very different from my yes to the World Cup. And uh, I realised that when I said yes to it, I meant that if I was in the house, um, I wanted it on. And I would say to her, we'll just have it on in the background. Which, what I realised is, having the football on in the background never counts as trying to get away with having the football on. And I just worked it out. That means I just want to watch it. So, um... We had a conversation, obviously it was good, England did do very good in that tournament, so uh, quite quickly we lost interest in it. But what I suppose I want to talk about this morning is the power of our yes. At that moment, M's yes was very different from mine, and uh, it was something that was a quite a good learning curve. Eight years on, we're, we're working on it still, okay? So uh, I don't know if I'll be able to watch the game today. So... Uh, Anyway, the power of our yes. Now, a little bit um, about me. Um, actually, why don't we open the Bible? Should we do that? We go to Mark 12. And uh, we're going to read from... I should read from. Let's read from verse 28. So it says this in my Bible. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, this is a scribe talking to Jesus, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So what we're going to talk about is basically the first part of Jesus' response to the scribe. Now, um, before we get into that, I just want to point out something. Is The scribe, um, at the time, their job would have been to interpret the law and then it was kind of that it was charged with them that they would have been like the clever ones who were able to read and they would have their job would have been to explain to the people what the law meant now um, as you read through the gospels you see that jesus's interaction with religious people is actually 
one of the times when it's really the only time Jesus actually gets sort of violent, not violent to people, but he's like flipping tables over. We see that Jesus actually, his, his interactions at time with the religious field can be aggressive. And obviously we know that this eventually ends up with him going to the cross. This moment is not one of the aggressive moments. It actually suggests to us that this is quite a humbling moment for the scribe. The scribe isn't approaching Jesus with an aggressive stance. He's approaching Jesus with a humble stance because what's happened, a bit of a context, is Jesus has just got involved in a theological discussion with one of the Sadducees. And what he's saying is, um, what he's been impressed, so impressed with Jesus, that he is humbly saying to him, what is the greatest commandment? Now, what's interesting about that is that for the scribes, the greatest commandment was basically him saying, what is the meaning of life? Of all my yeses that I've got to give, which is the primary yes? What do I need to give my yes to? And the thing about our yes is that our yes informs all of our no's. And actually sometimes when we're trying to figure out what we should be doing with life, rather than figuring out what we're not going to do, we need to figure out what we are going to do. And in this moment, we have the scribe humbly saying to Jesus, so what's the greatest commandment? Now, I actually would like to suggest that I feel like on offer for all of us is the opportunity for evangelism to look like not going out and telling people about Jesus and trying to start the conversation, but actually people being so impressed with the wisdom that we carry that we gain access because we're given influence because they trust us. Can I get an amen? amen? This person is saying to Jesus, what's the meaning of life? Imagine if that was how our evangelism went. Just when we showed up to work or in our families, we're not having to tell people about Jesus. They're actually asking us, I've seen something about you. I've seen something different about you. How do you do life? What's the meaning of life? Because I feel like you found it. And that's what's happening here. So um, I don't think that should be a super heavy thing. Because like it says in the Bible, Matthew 6, it says, don't worry about tomorrow. So let's not worry about these interactions that like, oh no, we've got to have such awesome wisdom so that we can have influence. So let's not worry. And this is where maybe the Bible stands in tension sometimes. We have Matthew 6, it says, don't worry about tomorrow. But in 1 Peter, it says, prepare your mind for action. So there's a place of living where I don't worry about tomorrow, but I do prepare my mind for tomorrow. Does that make sense? Come on. That's good. So, Jesus gets asked a question, what is the meaning of life? And he responds, and he says basically these things. Love the Lord, love yourself, and love others. Which actually is kind of a good thing when I was thinking, what do you preach? And it's quite hard when you think about the first priest to do for the first service of a brand new church. Like, what, what, you know, what should we, you know, so much you could talk about. But I thought we'd go for this, because I feel like if we're going to go after anything as a church, it's going to be those three things, that we would love the Lord, we would love ourselves, and we would love other people. And the primary thing that I want to talk about is this idea that the Lord is one, and you are one. Now, I'm going to go after that a little bit more in a sec, but we know that, God values our yes. Because yes is a manifestation of the choice that we've all been given. And we know that choice is a prerequisite for relationship. 
And we know that this whole book is basically about the idea that God wants to have a relationship with you. And he can only have a relationship with you if you have choice. And we know that he values choice because in giving us his choice, the cost of that choice was that his son had to go to a cross. And what you're willing to pay for something determines its price and its value. Does that make sense? So we know that God really values your yes. And here we have Jesus suggesting and kind of recalibrating for the people that the Lord is one. And that they are one. When it says love the Lord with all your strength, all your mind, all your soul, everything you've got, what he's saying is that people, you are one person. Quite often we can get fragmented in our thinking about ourselves. We can get all like fragmented of like, sorry, just check the time. Am I one whole person? What do I do with myself? So we've got that going on. And then we've got um, Jesus suggesting that the Lord is one. Now the thing about lordship is that lordship is either he's lord of all or not at all. Em didn't like that bit. <laughs> So lordship is this idea that he can only be lord if he's lord of all. Okay, let's go off this a little bit. Because I think that this is important. I'll drink to that. What Jesus is saying is that the primary commandment and what's on offer for all of us is that we take all of ourselves and give one big fat yes to one lord. That's basically what I understand the meaning of life, is you have the opportunity to make that choice. Now the funny thing is, uh, well it's not funny, it's interesting is that when you look at um, the name of the devil, is that some theologians say that the devil, one of his names means to separate or divide. And we actually see that all over the place, is that the devil loves to try and divide relationships, he tries to divide generations, he tries to divide churches, he loves to divide marriages, he wants to divide um, us from the Lord. But I think one of the main things that he wants to divide is us in our view of ourselves. He's want to try and fragment our view of who we are. Which is interesting when it says here that Jesus is just kind of recalibrating. He's like, love the Lord with all of who you are. Not the holy bit, because there's a bit of you that's not holy. He's saying all of who you are gets to say yes to the one Lord. It actually is something that makes me quite sad, but you might have seen all the, uh, all the floods in Texas, and then how just the church just totally went after Joel Olstein, just, just knocking him, this like, famous guy. Whatever you think about his preaching and what he stands for, it's kind of, it's kind of there, but... Just him not opening his church and kind of everyone without knowing all the information just totally gunning him online and just really going after him. And the thing is, he may have made a bad choice. He, he may have done that. But it makes me sad when I see the church partnering with one of the names of the devil, which is the accuser, and causing us to separate. Isn't it funny that in church we're the, we're the only army that shoots its wounded? Isn't it funny that we do that? And we divide and we fragment and we, we, we fragment over, over thoughts and over theology. And just here we have this idea that God is saying, um, 
that what he is all about is all about us believing that we are one whole person and the Lord is one whole person. Now, this verse gets introduced in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 6, we see a recalibration for the people. Now, the people of the time would have been, like, actually deeply spiritual. They would have practiced this thing called polytheism, which is this idea... So these people, um, so of the time, they would have been deeply spiritual, they would have practiced polytheism, which was this idea that there were loads of different idols. And they would have had loads of different idols for loads of different parts of their lives. So they would have had an idol that they would have gone to about fertility, or one that they would have gone to about money, or the weather. And in Deuteronomy, what gets said is that Yahweh is one. He's not loads of different things. There's not loads of different idols. You don't need to go to all the different ones. You just need to go to one. The Lord is one. And then we have it kind of getting introduced again here by Jesus, just reminding people the Lord is one. It's not that there's loads of different lords. There's just the Lord. And then that actually gets said in Ephesians as well. In Ephesians, we see Paul writing. Where have I got it? Ephesians 1, verse 20. Go from 21. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What we see in that is that God has put Jesus head over everything. Now we actually get a role and a responsibility is that What's open to all of us is to have the Lord as Lord of all, but he's only going to be Lord of all if we put everything under his feet as well. So the choice is for all of us, are we going to let him be Lord? Is he the Lord of all or not at all? And so we have this, this idea that God has put Jesus there. God's view of us is that we are one whole person. There's now, as I would like to suggest, there's not holy and not holy. There's not sacred and secular. God is wanting to smash all of those divides that we put in because the devil would love to divide you up and think that our holy moments are here on a Sunday. Nearly every single church I've been in, I've been in quite a few, quite a constant thing that gets talked about is this has to be real on Monday, this has to be real on Tuesday, it has to be real on Wednesday, it's not just about Sunday. And I totally get it, but it kind of... Um, frustrates me a little bit that we still have to keep going on about it. And I think that the reason why we have to keep going on about your relationship with God needs to not just be about Sunday is because of this thinking that we've got into our heads that we're not one whole person. That we fragment ourselves and we see part of who we are being what we do on a Sunday and we see part of what we're doing over here, what we do at work and then over here what we do with our family is that God is wanting to bring all of it together and that word is called integrity. We think that integrity means um, telling the truth or making good choices when we're by ourselves. And I think that is what integrity is. But integrity comes from the word integer. And integer means one. And so our integrity is us believing that we are one whole person. Not fragmented. Not all divided. The devil would love to divide you up. But actually we get to bring all of who we are 
And we get to say one big fat yes to the Lord. We bring all of who we are and we bring it in. Obviously, my, my role and Em's role, and probably we all do this as well, is we get to, uh, to chat to people about how they're doing. We get to interact with them, we get to have coffee, and we chat, and we chat about life. And um, One of the, obviously, I, I was youth pastoring for a, for a long time, and then in my last role, we just chat with often young guys. They want to have coffee with me. And um, one of the most consistent conversations was, who should I date? I'm, you know, I'm just ready, I want to I wanna date want to date a girl and you know I feel like I'm ready for that and it'd be like great that's really exciting and um, the chat would obviously have some wisdom about specifics like where they're at like what's going on in their life but my advice always bottomed out on just be a man of God and you'll find your woman of God now obviously there was kind of specific wisdom in that I obviously get to chat to a lot of people about um, how they're doing with their jobs and people want to find a new job and they want to ask me what should I do, where should I go, I'm not really sure and I chat to them and after all the specific wisdom what it comes down to is just be a man of God chat, M gets to chat to a lot of people about parenting and things like that and M gives all of her wisdom around parenting and la 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 and it comes down to just be a person of God I'd like to suggest it might sound like really just basic, but I'd say that everything that we're facing comes down to a lordship issue. Have we surrendered that part of our life to his lordship? Have we brought that in to his lordship? Oftentimes we say, I'm not, I'm not worried, God's in charge. You're like, well, I feel like maybe you are worried. Because if you're saying that you're not worried, then... Have you, have you brought it in under his lordship? Have you, have you brought that in and surrendered that thing as well? A great acid test for us is if we know if we've surrendered that part of our life to God or not, is how much control we're trying to take over it. We control the things that we're scared of. And control is a manifestation of fear. And so the question is, have we brought all of that under? And are we saying yes with all of who we are. Now we're almost getting to the end of it, it'd be good to respond to this. Is right at the beginning of Emmaus Road Woking, is you might be thinking that part of what I'm saying about what we do with our yes is because I'm wanting to know, are you going to say yes to Woking? Are you going to say yes to being part of this church or not? I mean that is actually like super interesting to me and obviously I would love to know that whether you are thinking this is going to be my family or not some of you might just be here because you're wanting to support us and uh, encourage us and that you're it's you're so welcome to be here I'm so glad you are but in some ways if we just park all that for one sec is this idea of lordship is I don't really mind whether you decide to be here or not the thing I hope that we all feel encouraged to do is to see all of who we are giving a yes to the one Lord Jesus and just surrendering all of who we are to him all the things that we're worried about and I believe that as we surrender to his lordship those things that we're worried about we start to encounter the grace for the Prince of Peace to start invading our lives if you are worried about a job if you are worried about 
relationships, we worry about money, we worry about all these things, is part of it is, can I believe that God is who he says he is, and I am who he says I am, and I bring it all under him. On Thursday, we... Sandy, you're coming up. On Thursday, we had a, a worship meeting here. We just invited all of the um, all of the guys that are interested in worship to come and hang out, and we chatted and worshipped together. And if you if you're thinking I'd really love to be part of worship and I didn't come, then there's obviously loads of other ways to uh, engage in that. Um, but just on that night, uh, Tim, is Tim in here? Tim, Tim shared this. Um, a verse out of 1 Chronicles and um, he shared this bit where David starts to appoint different people to worship and um, I couldn't get away from this whole word appoint that I believe that God this morning is one, wanting to appoint some of us and I feel like that appointment is determined by us giving a fresh yes to him and I think that some of us, it's going to be about saying yes to being part of Emmaus Road Woking. But I feel like part of this morning is us as we worship, it's a recommitment of saying yes to his lordship. Almost like repenting of trying to control it ourselves. Repenting of seeing ourselves as, as separated, as kind of seeing some of us as, as Christian and some of us as not. Some of us as holy and some of us as not. And I think that God is wanting to heal disappointment. One of the biggest things that um, cripples us as Christians is disappointment. And disappointment with God specifically. And the thing about disappointment is that disappointment is the removal of your appointment. The Bible says that we've been appointed for such a time as this, all of us. You could have been placed anywhere in history, but you were placed here now. And he's appointed you for such a time as this. But disappointment, the reason why it's such an issue is that disappointment with God is never just about God. It's also about us. Because a created thing, getting disappointed with its creator, affects his identity because your identity is driven by your creator. And I think that God wants to heal disappointment with him. I think that maybe God, you've had some moments, I feel like there's some people here who you've been praying for something and the answer hasn't come yet. And you feel, you've actually even like, your prayer life has looked like, God, I'm disappointed with you. I think that God wants to heal that this morning. I think that part of it is in faith saying yes. Faith only exists in the context of doubt. I think that all of us probably have some questions. I know I've got some. So why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then at some point, Emma will come up here and say, you go and collect your children. Does that work? So we'll sing, and then we'll probably go into that moment of singing that, that yes and amen song. No, not yes and amen. We talked about what song to sing and we decided that would be a good one with what was going to happen this morning.